Welcome to Subtext Discourse. My name is Michael Dooney, Director of Jarvis Dooney Gallery Berlin. This next interview is the first of three recorded during the recent Berlin Art Week, which this year coincided with Germany's largest photo festival, the European Month of Photography. We organised three exhibitions that are a part of the official program at the Kunsthaus Britannien until the end of October. You can see The Wanderer Upon a Castle Came by photomedia artist Anna Zaholka, which she produced during an artist residency in Berlin in 1986. At the Australian Embassy Germany, we have select work from conceptual artist Derek Kreckler, and finally at Jarvis Dooney Gallery, we're presenting Kate Robertson and a long-term project recording the medicinal plants of CY Bougainville. Kate Robertson is an artist we've been exhibiting since 2014 when we've presented a series Celestial Body Model during a Transcendental Abstract Photography Group exhibition. Since then, we've curated work from her Dust Landscape series and Cosmic Walks into other shows. However, this will be her first solo exhibition with us and her first international solo exhibition. To mark the occasion, she made the trip over to Berlin and, respecting the culturally sensitive nature of the project, which we'll hear more about soon, she brought a husband, Bougainville representative and director of the Kynica project, Dr. Jeffrey Norrie, with her. So for those of you who missed them in Berlin, you can have a chance to hear them in conversation with me now. How did the whole thing come about? Because I know Alex couldn't make it over, but Alex yes. invited you to the island? or Yes, yes. So the um, Alex Dawia, who's a chief from the CY region of Bougainville, mm-hmm. um, from the Talupu Moiku clan, uh, he um, saw some of my, my dust landscape series and he really uh, resonated with how I was engaging in community contexts and then recontextualizing or representing community in photographic forms. Mm-hmm. And that series was done in 2012. And after a bit of time, Alex and I getting to know each other in 2013, uh, he invited me to go to CY and document the medicinal plants from his region. And uh, one of the purposes was that he was getting concerned that the traditional knowledge was becoming fractured due to globalization and digital technology. And he saw that a photographic project could be something positive Mm -hmm. for the people. And then it also could also it also could be um, preservation of language as yeah. well and cultural values. I guess when Alex first invited me to go to CY, um, the initial invitation kind of sparked the conversations about how we would actually go about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't want to rush it because um, I guess the the sensitivities around the material and the knowledge. And then also for me, it was really important to take time given, uh, you know, concerns about photo- photography being utilised in community contexts other yeah. than, than my own. So that was something that we wanted to just slowly negotiate as well yeah. to work out the best way to go about it. So the actual way that the project was executed was from the very beginning a collaborative process because if I think about the dust landscapes from what I know and how I describe it is it's kind of an experiential documentary or yes. style of work in that you're incorporating parts of what you yeah, what you lived in the place with seeing the people and yeah. then in- incorporating that within the photographic work. How did you come to the idea then to do the Lumen Prints for yeah, for this series? So for the first we actually didn't travel to uh to CY until two thousand fifteen. Wow, okay. Yes. So it was quite a bit of time where we just kept on talking about how we were going to go mm-hmm. about it. Uh, Jeff, so Jeffrey Noro, who is here today from the Rura clan, <laughs> uh, Jeff was actually studying in Sydney at the time. Yeah. And uh, I guess through the, the Bougainville way of um, communicating, even though Alex and Jeff had never met, they knew of each other. And I remember Alex saying, I know that there's a Bougainville person that's mm-hmm. studying up in New South Wales at Sydney, and it would be great to get him involved in the project as well. Yeah. Um, so in that time, Jeff came on as well. Uh, in terms of the first time that I went there in 2015, one of the things that I really wanted to think about on that trip was that maybe this is a really good opportunity for me just to experience the place as well. Yeah. Uh, I was very concerned as a photographer not being uh, 
not understanding the place to be able to make work from it. So the first time I went over there, I um, I took my camera, my 4.5 camera. I took some cyanotypes. I also took like my mobile phone camera, digital SLR, and it was just to really play play with yeah. the processes. Yeah, so there was no, like, no concrete plan at the beginning. It was no. just to explore, to discover, and yes. to see what kind of came out of the process. Yeah, what came out. And I guess there was, when I think back to it, there was three kind of real important components that came forward from that trip. Um, the first one was the, the heat of the mm-hmm. place, so the actual environment. Uh, I remember when I got off the plane from Booker, which is where the plane travels into from Port Moresby. And as soon as I got off the plane, I was just like this huge gulf of hot air just kind of hit me and I felt really compressed. Yeah. I felt really insignificant in this, you know, very foreign environment. I had a really lasting uh, impact on me uh, and it was something that kept kind of resonating and coming back throughout the whole trip. And particularly like when you think about photography used in places where there is a lot of humidity and a lot of heat, it's actually quite a difficult yeah. uh, feat to to work within. And so I really wanted to work with a process that uh, didn't try and push against the environment, but to work in harmony with it. Um, so the lumen process was a really great opportunity to, you know, use the heat and the, the kind of the, the water in the air to help make the, the exposures happen. Um, the lumen process as well, I decided on that. This has all happened after I got back from the first trip. Oh, how long were you there for the first time? I was there for a month. A month, okay. Yes. And yep. did Jeff travel as well or you were still in Sydney? No, I was in the village, um, yeah, back then, uh, 2015. Okay. So I was in the village when, uh, oh, when Kate, came yeah, around. Kate and Alex, they came around. Yeah, and then I think the other thing that really, two other factors that really kind of resonated with me from that first trip as well was the um, communal aspect of living, um, which Jeff, I'm sure, can talk much more eloquently about it than me. Yeah, so the the the, the community at Kainake, um, that's where Kate collected most of the stuff. Um it's so kind of like, is part of CY. Yeah, it's kind of so kind of is within CY. It's, it's a village mm-hmm. uh, okay. community within the CY district. Um, so it's a lot. A lot of the communities in Bougainville are actually um, very small, like very micro communities. From uh, some of the villages can be any any anywhere from twenty to twenty people to maybe 100, 200 people. So the kind of community is has around two hundred people, um, and it's all one family. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's just a family that um, makes up a village, um, and then with all the you know all the other relatives who actually come through marriage. So the village is actually uh, constructed in a way that um, you know a family who actually live within the boundaries of their customary land. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is your land, and then this is where where you live within the villages, and you may also say the the land boundary, you know, with other other village communities who also happen to be family groups. Within that village, you know, you have your great grandparents, the grandparents, and the mom and dad, and all the kids. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's a very very close sort of community because it's just one family. Mm-hmm. So within these communities, what you have is this is just a lot of sharing, you know. That that is kind of the the I think really breaking down like what we mean by the by the community context is um, really that. So my great grandmother is still your great grandmother is yeah. still alive. Wow. Okay. She's still alive. Um, I think she's been through the world wars, and but um, she becomes like my great grandmother becomes the the pillar. Yeah. She's the pillar in the community. She's the, you know, everyone sort of gathered around here. Um, that's where the strength in the community comes from because um, she has all the stories, the, the genealogy, and uh, because the, the, the ownership of the land and the resources is actually based on genealogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And again, a lot of this knowledge, um, the genealogy is all through oral. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of it is actually done through songs. Yeah. Oh. They, they actually, chants that actually tell stories and geneal genealogy from so many years back. Um, and, and that is really important um, traditional knowledge information that you actually hold as the power in the community. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, a lot of it, it is actually not written. And I've also kind of, um, I did write down the, geno uh, the family tree, which actually gives them um, like, you know, up the, the family the position. But this, these things are very important kind of in, in the work that we're doing uh, with the medicinal plants, because you need to operate within that sort of community dynamics and relationships and understanding in order for this work to actually happen um, you know I mean I can see I guess hearing this now I can see why it would take like it would yeah. take a long time yeah really just to I guess to get integrated within the community and yeah. to kind of understand the process yeah how was it then how was it at the start then I guess when Alex took you over and said I'm here's a here's a lady from Australia that I brought to <laughs> to document these medicinal plants like how was the initial I guess I mean that's a culture shock it's a culture shock coming to Europe so yes. going to Bougainville I mean just beyond the heat like you're saying when you get out of yes. the aeroplane but going to the village and to meet everybody especially as a family you're really an outsider absolutely and I think um, carrying on from that not having much written down uh, it was very much experiencing and understanding as I as I went mm -hmm. Um, and, and actually, uh, giving in to not, to not knowing and being okay with that as well, because there are a lot of, uh, customs and cultural ways that, uh, I, that is very complex over there. And I know that I will never, ever comprehend it. That's, yeah. that's actually the, just, just how rooted in many layers the culture is over there. So I guess I, in the beginning on that first trip, it was very much about allowing Chief Alex and for Chief Jeff to take me under their wing. Mm. So there were the weather, the environment was a very difficult uh, thing to, to uh, embrace in the beginning, um, to be constantly sweating. Then also, uh, I guess, even things like uh, where to wash that was a new thing that I wasn't too sure how that was going to go about. So the women will wash in a certain part of the river. So the other thing that, like, when every time a sort of a visit comes to the community, mm -hmm. um, you have to introduce the the person to the to the spirits. Mm. Okay. Yeah, to the spirits in in the forest, where you have to communicate with them and say, look, you know, you know, we have a visitor who's coming. To, to the community um, who's going to be walking around, you know, in the forest. So that actually, they accept, um, you know, any, anyone who comes into the community. And um, so it's basically also kind of protection, you know, protection from any, any, any spirits. Yeah. Um, because sometimes the spirits can get angry um, with anyone new who's not from there to actually go into the forest. Ah, so was there a kind of, um, I guess, say a welcoming ritual or something that had to yeah, take place? Yeah. So usually, what happens is usually you talk to when you before you, like going into the forest, you need to talk to the spirits. Like you call out and say, "Look, you know, I'm, you know, uh, we're here with Kate, and um, she's from, um, you know, she's come with Jeff, and Jeff is, um, he's like, you know, he's like this and this and this. Um, he's a, so it's really explaining the relationships." Mm -hmm. So, I think relationship there is very, very important. That's why, like, the genealogy is really key. So, you know, they would say, oh, Jeff is related like this, 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 or like, you know, so it, it goes all the way. Yeah. So, you, you communicate with them and then, you know, it's kind of the clearance. And that's when you walk into the, to the forest. Wow. Okay. And do a lot of this, uh, this work. Yeah. So, that was in the, so this all happened in the first month. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, there's a bit more to that story, though. So, <laughs> I was waiting. I'm waiting for Jeff to 
<laughs> so apparently, when she came in there, her, her ears, her ears were like aching. This is on the first trip. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so her ears started aching, and we were like, "What's happened?" So we decided, "Oh, something might be wrong." Like, um, so we we got one of the you know the, the prayer ladies in the village. Um, so she came and prayed, and you know, they would see the visions and stuff. And she was like, oh, you guys, because we didn't introduce Kate. <laughs> it's like an oversight. So when, when we first went there, we didn't introduce Kate to the, to the, to the spirits. So it was like my failure. Oh, <laughs> actually, <laughs> kind of, because um, anyway, they prayed and said, oh, the spirits actually slept her ears. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't introduced. Like, that's that's why the, the ears have been aching. Yeah, but then after that, like yeah, so away, yeah, so okay. yeah, so you know, after the prayer and everything, sort of, um, yeah. It, yes. So, so this is this is as a you know as a photographer that's really wanting to make work that is quite responsive to yeah. place and people, mm-hmm. and also um, you know being respectful to cultural customs and values yeah. all of this is happening in a space where i haven't been able to prepare properly it's just it's just how like com- how yeah. can you know <laughs> so the the other thing is within this community um like you know christianity came in um christianity came in then they kind of um you know a lot of the rituals a lot of the practices they kind of you know sort of stopped stop people from doing all those things. So I think I'm kind of also coming from that space where, you know, I didn't really want to kind of believe in, you know, that spirituality. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's it's there. <laughs> so if you can kind of avoid it. Um, but I think, yeah. it, I mean, when I, that was on my first trip, mm-hmm. when I was taken into the forest and then um, the earache was actually... Uh, really bad yeah um that i ended up in a local hospital uh i was treated with traditional medicine but uh um i think because i don't have the bugs the right bugs to uh work in that environment I, oh like your immune system it's, yeah, yeah. Immune system, yeah so i ended up going to a, a local hospital and that was uh quite an insight into i guess the uh I, the the lack of um, new medicine that is available mm-hmm. and that also opened up again I guess experiences uh, that informed how I made the work yeah so going to the hospital and you know people have said to me well didn't the traditional medicine work you know <laughs> <laughs> and for me it's not about that it's about you know if these communities want to be able to, um, you know, have their traditional medicine, but then also have access to new medicine, then that should be um, able to to happen. And so when I went to the, the hospital, you know, it's just a very small place in the middle of the jungle, maybe uh, eight beds. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it took over an hour for someone to be able to find a piece of tape to be able to place, uh, to hold the drip into place. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a real lack of uh, material, medicinal material available. And so that's what kind of made me think about with this project as well. It's not about just one or the other. It's yeah. about both being available in terms of medicine, but then also knowledge systems as well and how through photography could I... Uh, respond to that as well yeah okay uh, i mean i'm just getting my head around like the initial experience of you going away <laughs> and like getting really sick and then having to go yeah not just to go to a hospital in a foreign land but in the jungle yes and then we're like, oh didn't the traditional medicine work did they you know did you take care of the spirits did all that kind of stuff happen and the i guess the environmental conditions and everything else like after that you think okay this is too much for me or no i need to keep going <laughs> That is a very good question, yes. Um, uh, you know, that there's a lot for me to comprehend after that first month 
there. Yeah, I can imagine it's intense. It's very, very intense, yes. I ended up being in hospital for two nights and having to um, have days worth of um, injections in my bottom, (laughs) which the community thought were hilarious. And I used to have a bit of a crowd in the hospital when it was happening. And um, it still didn't go away. Okay. It, it only went away um, until I got back to, to Melbourne. So, you know, like I was forced with a lot of mm-hmm. things to think about. But no, no, I didn't. I mean, I just I actually think it's quite a um, privilege to be invited into yeah, an right. area that uh, isn't necessarily accessible to mm-hmm. a lot of people. So I know that, um, you know, Alex and Jeff, also shielded me from a lot of things so mm-hmm. it wouldn't be too overwhelming because uh you know it it is so new and things can just get out of hand there yeah. quite quickly um but you know like after i came back from the first trip alex said that it you know for two or three months he was calling back clearing space um in terms of talking to people letting them know that i was going and mm-hmm. um, making sure that chiefs and uh communities were okay for me to pass through as well yeah okay. so you know like i feel quite privileged to be able to to go into these areas i mean it's such a unique experience i think as well yeah like, i mean the work itself obviously is very unique but even hearing about how the process you need to go through just to be there to make it like that's not something that most people would ever have the opportunity to even consider doing Absolutely. Yeah, so that's really quite special in itself. Very, very special. So how long were you back in Melbourne before you returned? I think I came back for about 10 months. And in that time, through a reflection period of all of these experiences Mm -hmm. that I had, um, you know, and talking, listening to people talk about uh, what it means for them to lose their knowledge as well and their language, um. I just then started to think about the lumen process as being a a process that for many reasons, but one of them for the main reasons is that the lumen process uh, works well with the environment. So I'm not uh, trying to force, force a photographic process in that environment. It actually works in harmony with being quite hot and humid. Because you make them out in the air, don't you? You do, yeah. So it's expired black and white photographic paper mm-hmm. and you use it in a cameraless method, to, like a photogram. So you've got your uh, photographic paper, uh, you place your material on top and so this would be like a leaf. Yeah. And then I would weigh it down, put a piece of perspex on top and weigh it down with some um, rocks and once it's taken out into the sun, uh, what happens is there's like an activation and an enmeshing and uh, kind of the material and the exposure starts to happen. Yeah. And it usually happens over a few days or a few hours. So that was one of them was the environment. But then also I really liked that it was a, a slow process uh, and it was communal. So the mm-hmm. table was set up at Kainaka Village, purposefully right in the the heart of the village so people could come with their plants that they wanted recorded, but then also they could engage and help with the process as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. So you didn't... Yeah, I mean, before I was thinking he went, yeah, either with Jeff or with Alex to the forest, he collected things, but it was a... I guess it was a community experience or it was a community initiative almost. Yeah. 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 So the first time that I went, we went into the, the forest and that's when I got slapped. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second time uh, we went into the forest again and uh, the community at Kainake, there was one person in particular, Patrick, who was uh, by Jeff's mum uh, given the task to, you know, lead the community in getting the medicinal plants and he decided that it was better for me to stay in the village mm-hmm. and they'll just go out and get what they wanted and bring it back just because uh because of the heat as well walking around in that um and me not being so used to it if i did that for quite a few days on end i may get sick, sick again, again. <laughs> 
Um, and I particularly liked that as well because it's about, uh, you know, the community guided how the project unfolded. Yeah, that's And right. I think, um, Jeff, you've mentioned quite a few times how the plants are like, you know, it's an, it's an analogy to over-the-counter medicine. Okay. So... <laughs> yeah. Generic. Generic, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So... Most of the plants are very kind of um, general. Mm-hmm. It's just like things that you, you as you grow up, you just know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the very basic, you know, it's like Panadol. Uh, okay. um, over-the-counter drugs. Um, and, you know, there's some other plants that people would actually hold back and not give it out. Ah. Because it's are they purely there. medicinal? Because I'm just, when you were saying about growing up with plants, I'm thinking about having mint in the garden or basil and things like that that you use... In, you know, for culinary purposes. Yeah, yeah. Um, not really for cooking, um, but usually, you know, any, any minor ailments, like any um, illness that comes, it's like, oh, I'll go there and pick up this, um, you know, leaf and... Oh, okay, the closest yeah. I can think of is aloe vera, you know. Yeah, like, like aloe vera <laughs> and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. But there are some, some plants that actually, you know, the real serious uh, medicine man... Mm. It's their trade secrets. Oh, okay. yeah. So they wouldn't actually give it out. Okay. To say, look, you know, this is because it's it's their thing. So what, whatever we have here is very, you know, the the, the generic, the common plants that. Okay, so the, um, there's fourteen, aren't there? That's in, yeah, the, in the series. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So they are not like the the prescription drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I think, I mean, I, I think I, I really love <clears throat> that it is like the over the counter medicine as well, because it for me is uh, kind of aligns to um, me being in that environment making work. It's like an introduction, mm-hmm. you know, it's this beginning of a relationship as well. It's not yeah. me going in going, I want, you know, that, <laughs> that plant that I've heard so much about that cures yeah, cancer, yeah. you know, that's, that's not my place. Um, but yeah. I think I think in, like interestingly again that um, you know it's you know the villagers actually went and said oh well, this is you know we we bring this one for the recording and so it's it just allowing the community to actually um, you know decide on mm-hmm. you know what you're giving and and um, I think the other thing was the the engagement the the participation and um, ownership. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you select it? How I mean, the village, I guess, selected these, or the community. Yeah, the the, the community just uh, you know they just kind of um, you know went out into the bush picking up like oh this one is used for this this one's for these and yeah yeah. But with any you thought okay I won't include these ones because thinking about it from an artistic point of view yeah. like you know aesthetically are some better than others so you just found a way to to include all of them in within the documentation. Uh, all the plants are included in the book. Mm-hmm that were recorded at Kainake Village and 14 were made into photographic prints. And the reason being is, I mean, I I think I just work in very small series Mm -hmm. to keep it quite intimate. And the way that I chose that was just the ones that resonated for me in to be able to turn it into an artwork. Yeah. And also then it means that in the book then there's that, kind of adds another context that there's more more in the book format as well. Yeah, because the book's only a recent thing, but with the photographic work, yeah. how long did that take like to get to the to the point that it is now? Um well, that was over several journeys, so you spent more time on the uh, island? No, I, that was on all my second trip. The yeah. second yeah. trip, yeah. Yeah. So but you know that again, the way that this is you know, the way that I've engaged with the project and the community is, you know, really respecting mm-hmm. that um, things will happen when it's meant to happen. Yeah. And as someone that's from a Western culture, that can be very uh, difficult to understand where we're very much deadlines and mm-hmm. need mm-hmm. to get things done. Um, and so sometimes it can be quite anxious an anxious time so on my second time I was there for three weeks and we didn't even get to Kainaka village until I think about two and a half weeks in oh right okay yeah so that was due to uh more sickness 
Um, so I, I got quite sick after going for a walk and got severely dehydrated and I couldn't travel for a while. And then, um, you know, cars not being able to cross rivers, mm-hmm. so transport not being able to turn up. Uh, Alex, I was traveling with Alex and so he had obligations to go to meetings, family mm-hmm. village meetings. And so that had to be prioritized over it. Uh, there was also like a sing sing as well. So a big fest, um, big, or oh, you explain a sing sing. So sing sings, um, this is when kind of family, uh, somebody passes away. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe after two or three years, there's this big feast. Um, it's a whole city where people actually blow uh, pen pipes. Um, it's, you know, cultural singing. Um, you sing through the whole night um, until daybreak. And then this is when you give out, like, you know, pork. Awesome. You know, pork to pork meat to all the people who turn up. Pig. Yeah, pigs. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so pigs... Um, um, you know, it's the ending of the morning season. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, again, the, the exchange of the pigs is again, is also about building relationships. So, um, again, um, you know, the building of relationships, but also the transfer of resources and land. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, um, those things are very, very important in, in, in a culture. Yeah. So I think Gate um, happened to attend one of those. Yeah, the big oh, wow. feast. Okay. Yeah, it was a, it was a couple of thousand incredible, yeah. incredible experience to yeah so to it's, be part of. Yeah, so it's like kind of it's like war kind of cries. You have you know different groups all like competing and challenging and throughout the night and you got like people with spears and you know they say they go around in circles. So it's a, it's a pretty kind of very confronting, you know, um, um, activity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but you know, the significance of that is the one is building relationship between the families, um, uh, from, you know, the peasants, uh, paternal tribes and maternal tribes. So that and also the transfer of um, land and resources um, between families. Okay, wow. Yeah. So again, that is the basis of, um, again, you know, in terms of access um, to this work, um, it has to be supported by those kind of activities. Of course. Yeah. So it is pretty, pretty kind of layered. It's very layered. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing is, especially in terms of like, you know, giving, um, even for Kate coming in, like giving to give that access, um, you don't necessarily need kind of documentations in a, in a form of like agreements or whatnot in order to do work. Um, the, the, the rituals and the customary kind of events that actually take place um, are very, very, I think, far more important then, you know, maybe signing paper documentations to give access. Yeah, I mean, I guess how you described the community aspect, of yeah. course, like that's, yeah, you need to obviously be very respectful towards that. And it's, that I think transcends any kind of bureaucratic exercise yeah. of signing a piece of paper. Yeah. So I think, I think that that has kind of, it's probably one of the, you know, it's, it's a really big thing. And I think something that's also being lost you know, in the way, how do you actually manage um, relationships, mm-hmm. um, you know, between people and, you know, the kind of work we do in the communities. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the cultural aspect of community is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in terms of navigating, you know, this work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and showing that um, community is happy and uh, the spirits are happy. You know, making sure that, you know, everything has to be aligned. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Everything has to be aligned in order, you know, for progress to happen. I guess thinking about all that then, so the, was there ever, was the initial plan to make a book? Yes. Yeah. Uh, for Alex, um, 
it was very much uh, two purposes, mm-hmm. uh, a exhibition and book. So the exhibition would be an opportunity for uh, kind of exposure outside of, well, at, in Bougainville, but also mainly outside of Bougainville that provides a positive recognition mm-hmm. of, of Bougainville and uh, culture. Because you, have you shown the prints there or they just saw the process and how it came about? That I have given prints back in form of a material panel. Mm-hmm. So that's that went back with Jeff, I think, last year, was it? Or the year before? No, last year. Yeah, last, last year. year, yeah. 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 yeah and then year. you showed it for the first time at the Photo Book Melbourne. Yes, Photo Book Melbourne in 2016. Mm-hmm. And also showed it at Chapter House Lane in 2017. Okay. Um, so that, and then the other component was the book as well. So that, that idea of, um, repatriation mm-hmm. of knowledge through text and images in a book format. So it can go back into schools, uh, in CY where there's, I don't think there, is there any internet coverage? No. No. So it had to be into a, a book, <coughs> yeah, a book okay. format. Yeah. Because how is it? Because you're, I guess, in charge of the Kainika project. Yeah. Which is the village within the region or it's the so, township? It, so it, it's, again, it started from the village, um, Kainika village. Yeah. So Kainika, the Kainika project um, actually comes from the name of um, Kainika village. Mm-hmm. So this is where, um, you know, this whole idea started. Um, you know, of pres- preservation, you know, of, um, you know, the natural habitats, um, endangered, um, species of animals, mostly mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, the importance for education. Um, because the Kanaka village is about two hours away from the nearest school. Wow. Okay. Um, and then you gotta walk through tracks and stuff. So that's pretty much kind of where I grew up then, um, as a kid. Um, you know, walk four hours every day to, and, you know, back and forth from school. Gosh. So what happened during the time was a lot of, uh, my friends, uh, my, my age group, um, didn't really, you know, they were just dropped out of school because the school was so far away. And which meant, um, literacy within the community was very low. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the la- what is the local language actually? Uh, Matuna, Matuna, Matuna language. That's okay. the Siwa language. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people, you know, just dropped out from school, and um, so I thought I think one of the immediate things that we need to do is actually improve literacy, and so we built up a school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the school was the, the first project we did in two thousand fourteen. Um, I was still finishing off my PhD thesis at the time. Mm-hmm. So and that was in Sydney? Yeah. yeah. Okay. In Sydney, but I, I came up to Papua New Guinea and I was working from Papua New Guinea just to uh, finish up the writing. So that's when we started the school. And then I think towards the end of 2005, we had the conservation area all formalized. And, you know, the plants actually came from within the conservation space. The Kanaka project started from there. We got registered uh, with the Papua New Guinea government as a community-based organization. But now the, the project is actually growing, and we've um, worked with um, the Australian Museum in Sydney mm-hmm. um, on our research and conservation of endangered mammals. Um, also with the International Unit for Conservation of Nature, and Critical Ecosystem Partnership Fund and the United Nations Development Program. So, um, the publication of the, the book mm-hmm. is actually supported by the UNDP okay, wow. uh, funding that we got. So again, it's the, the issue is on not just conserving like the trees uh, and the animals, but also preserving that knowledge. And this is what Kate has been working on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the thing is, if you don't actually raise the awareness on, on the, the value of knowledge, um, and preservation, um, particularly in the, you know, the, the name of trees and stuff like that is you actually lose the value. 
Yeah, because yeah. I guess I've come to learn that each of the names of the plants describes is a function. Describe, yeah. yeah, describes yeah. its function. So you know, if you lose just just lose loss of the language, um, you know, you're potentially losing the whole body of knowledge, and mm-hmm. you know, something that could also be useful for science in the future. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but currently now the the Karnaka project is sort of expanding now. So we're also now moving into other 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 areas, other districts. Um, the initial conservation area that we started is about um, 65 hectares. Um, it's pretty small, but the next sort of conservation area that we're looking at now is about 50,000 hectares. Wow, okay. So it's, it's growing, it's, it's getting big. Um, it's going to be a lot of um, conservation, a lot of scientific research is going to be um, done um, in terms of those um, um, conservation of the endangered mammals. Currently, we're looking at three species that are actually only found in Bougainville. Wow. And they actually listed as critically endangered. Mm -hmm. And the the, um, International Union for Conservation of Nature, the red list. Yeah. What, Um, animals? Yeah, animals, mammals. Um, They they are rats, giant tree rats, Mm -hmm. and bats. Oh, okay. So we we have one of the world's largest bats. Uh, they're called monkey face bats. Yeah, they actually farm on Bougainville on, on the only island. And then so they like this. Uh, it's their wingspan. Yeah, with the wingspan and their their face. I guess are like, like for people listening, a meet about a meter. Yeah, not, not not about a meter, but I think about um twenty to thirty centimeters kind of wingspan. Yeah, about fifty or something. But um the other animal is um the giant tree rat. They're actually really long. Again, it's about, um, they could become like about 50 centimeters long. Gosh, they're rats. They're rats. <laughs> they're really big rats. The yeah. giant tree rats, they, they, they crack nuts. So two species of that, we've, um, we've actually found one mm-hmm. within the kind of area in the lowlands. Um, we were just lucky. Um, we're looking for the, the biggest one. Um, the only, Museum specimen is actually placed in Austrian Museum in Sydney, mm-hmm. and it was collected in the 19, 1936 by a Polish priest, okay. who was a Catholic priest on Bougainville. Yeah, who actually also worked as a as a you know as a collector mm-hmm. of um, specimens, and so he was the one who actually captured the animal and brought it down to the Austrian Museum, and it's the only known specimen, um, uh, uh, you know, currently. So we, we're trying to sort of go back and, and look at the environment and see if this species is actually there. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of work we're doing, um, really sort of saving some of these animals. Um, I think the other thing now is to look at, you know, while we work on conservation, um, you know, through scientific research and other um, things, also comes the question on, on use of art. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, how can you look at science and art as, as a way to, to communicate with people? Yeah. Um, and really raising the awareness on, you know, on, on the end of the environment. Um, one of the things is, you know, economy, human economic needs actually drives a lot of the destruction on, on natural habitats. Um, um, I think that coupled with, especially for a lot of um, remote communities like on Bougainville, um, there's very limited knowledge on, on you know, on environment um, and also on climate change as well. Um, because the thing is, a lot of these communities are very isolated yeah. with very limited information that goes on. And they don't really see the, uh, we can look at the global context of the environment. So, again, this is something that, you know, we could actually you know, use the use of art forms mm-hmm. to actually communicate some of these values to local communities. Um, maybe through, you know, very, very subtle kind of artistic presentations, um, not really confronting, mm-hmm. you know, these communities. So I think, um, you know, what we've started, I don't know, maybe it could be refined in the future to really communicate some of these ideas in very soft kind of non-confronting. Well, yeah, it's very that. approachable, I think. Yeah. You, you look at the works, obviously they're quite beautiful, the way they've been presented, and it's a really unique way of, like, discovering this information. But yeah. then it, it does have that many layers that you do, yeah, you inevitably have to read about and discover 
the the community and the project and the environment and how, yeah. how everything kind of fits together and it's a nice yeah as you say it's a nice gentle introduction yeah to what's going on in that part of the world yeah the the other thing to um with with the kind of project is to you know to really have a very holistic approach um i think a lot of time um especially you know with with, with communities in 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 bougainville um you know there's no specialization mm-hmm like in, in 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 a lot of developed world, um, everyone's everyone is a specialist. Yeah. Um, because there's someone else who's gonna who has other responsibilities. Um, in in a lot of these cultural communities, you need to know how to do everything. So I think it's a it's a very good way on when when you're looking at projects in these communities, you need to have a holistic approach, mm-hmm. um, where projects need to meet, um, you know, all different needs of the community. Um, and also in Bougainville um, and Papua New Guinea, um, about eighty percent of the people live in this kind of rural communities. You know, the bulk of the population. Yeah, wow. And there is very limited internet penetration, um, so information is very limited. And I think, I think, um, you know, in, in in a developed world, information is just at the fingertips, and sometimes we take it for granted that it's it's free and available for everybody. Certainly. Yeah. So that that is you know that's one of the um, you know biggest lack that we have in in this communities is information. I think to have a book like this, mm-hmm. you know, it's all it's it's sort of codifying that knowledge into a presentable um, information that can be said and make it made accessible to to a lot of people. You know, I think I think it's it has a lot of different um, kind of um, uses. You know, it's preserving knowledge, and but um, also it's um, introducing uh, a new way of communication. Because um, you know, moving away from just the oral, oral way of um, you know passing on knowledge, which um, you know information changes with yeah. you know when you when you're just giving it orally. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but. The other thing too is maybe we could actually it, it could start changing a lot of um, thinking on, on in a lot of these communities, especially when it comes to literature. People maybe you know maybe motivated to actually start writing their own stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's not, already happened. Yeah, maybe not necessarily asking, but it's, this is a very yeah. good introduction to to actually change perspectives. Um, I think there's a lot more lot more opportunities for writing. Yeah, I mean, um, certainly this is, yeah, I think it kind of creates a lot of potential and yeah. opportunities and yeah. even, I think, awareness, really, even yeah. like locally, if you're only used to living in a certain way and you're not exposed to new ideas, yeah. you don't know that they're, they're available to you. Yeah. And and I think that's the other outcome that we're hoping for is, um, you know, is for other people to also write their own stories mm-hmm. and write their own stories and even to create their own forms of art. Um, Papua New Guinea has been very, Papua New Guinea actually is a very visual um, society. Um, you know, there's been a lot of um, traditional paintings, face paintings, and, um, and, and that has been our way of communication um, for a lot of um, societies and tribes. And I think with the, you know, modern education coming in, and we've just sort of focused heavily on maybe technology like science, technology, engineering, and humanities, without really kind of reflecting back on our cultural history, where art has actually played a very important role. Yeah. And, and I think um, um, this, this project um, hopefully can inspire sort of, um, you know, the value of art. Mm-hmm. Because um, I think within a lot of schools now in Papua New Guinea, People are just thinking, you know, and I need to be an accountant, I need to be a lawyer, I need to be an engineer. Yeah. And so we're not giving the opportunity for other, other young people who have actually have those artistic orientations. Um, so I think, I think it is um, maybe a very important time to actually start this conversation and also to create a space for Papua New Guineans who are interested in this kind of work. Yeah, I think it's also, um, it also highlights the importance of creative expression. Yeah. Even if you do want to be an engineer. Yeah. It's also nice to 
to, you know, to, to be, think outside the box, yeah, look at things in different ways that you wouldn't otherwise. So, um, my my work with the, with the government um, has actually gotten me. I, I have an APEC project at the moment that I'm working on, mm-hmm. um, the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation. Um, so, my the the forum that I'm actually under in is is the policy partnership in science, technology, and innovation. And STEM education has been one of those kind of, you know, um, things that people within science and technology has always been pushing on is the STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, okay. yep. um, STEM education. But in very recent, our last meeting with APEC, um, it's about 21 economies. Um, we've actually, there's a lot of discussion now on STEM education. Um, science, technology, engineering, arts, mm-hmm. and mathematics. Because I think there's a whole shift in thinking now that you cannot talk about science, technology, innovation without actually having some, you know, creative mm-hmm. background that actually art actually inspires. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a very constantly evolving world that we're living in. I think it's important to accommodate a lot of these things. And, and I think putting this kind of work out there to inspire the way we think about the world, and also in terms of um, you know how do we actually you know you know invest, and I think for me as a kind of coming from government and policy is something that um, that has to be given the policy space for discussion. <sighs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you guys want to add? Like how? Because you live there, you live there, don't you, Kate? I do, I do, yes. Are you so, part-time in Melbourne or you're, you live in, in uh, I, I We actually live um, in the central province of Papua mm-hmm. New Guinea and that's about 45 minutes outside of Port Moresby. Okay. So we live along the coast there and I moved there in November. So on this project, Jeff and I uh, fell in love and... We got married, and uh, this year we had two two weddings. Yeah, uh, one in Melbourne for the papers and <laughs> the formalities. <laughs> the formalities, and then a cultural one in Bougainville. So I've been I've been in um, yeah Papua New Guinea since November, but you know we've had some trying times with getting visas. So I've spent a bit yeah, of time down in Melbourne, but th- that's now my home. And oh, so that okay. that's been a. a Again, another uh, learning that I've I've had to go through moving to Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's the the commitment to. I mean, at least when when you travel there for short periods, you know that you're going back. Yeah. But uh, living up there, um, I don't have that that luxury anymore. But I do. I I love it up there. The people are very warm and very giving. And uh, it's just such an incredible place to, to live and be in such a unique environment. Um, but it's also very difficult to, I guess, witness a lot of the inequalities that happen up there. Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very challenging place. And, you know, a lot of my friends have been like, you know, what are you doing as this move, you know? Um, you know, go back to Australia and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you married there and, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's an opportunity and, 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 and I think it's, you know, for me, um, I think this project has really, um, I think, you know, we've talked about it all the time is, is about the heart, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really about following your heart and kind of, um, you, you, you kind of stick, you know, stuck with it. Yeah. And, and I think. Yeah, I think that's basically, you know, kind of, you know, what, what this project is really driven by mm. is about purpose and like, you know, why, why we are here. And so, you know, that, I think that's why it's been quite difficult for, for us to make any kind of maybe sort of very rational, logical decisions that's actually driven by the mind because I think a lot of it is actually finding, trying to find guidance from the heart. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, I think without it, I don't think Kate would be would have moved up to the to Papua New Guinea. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. I'm, I mean, it wasn't like in terms of 
you know, career, career and yeah. all this stuff. Like that's not that's not necessarily a logical decision, but it was with heart and yeah. feeling like there was there was something up there and um and I do feel like that's the place where I'm meant to be for yeah. for at least a couple of years. Yeah. Um I I've, I've learned a, an incredible amount about myself being up there and it makes living up there I feel uh very lucky just to be able to wake up knowing that I'm healthy. I've got food. I've yeah. got food. I've been able to have an education. Yeah, I guess it uh, puts life into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So it's it has really uh, centered me mm-hmm. in a way that I'd never would have been able to imagine. And that's because yeah, it's a very difficult mm. place to to live for for a lot of people. Yeah, I can believe it. Yeah. yeah. And and I think um you know, you know, I think I think Kate has kind of done, you know, so much like, you know, the the repatriation of um you know, information back to the community. Mm-hmm. So, um we I think we initially made about um 500 copies. So, you know, half of it is going to be distributed back into schools. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's something that we're doing it free of charge like it's not going to be sold. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's it's kind of giving back, um, um, you know, and, and this is an opportunity for kids in in CY and Bougainville to actually read mm. um, about their own stuff, and it, it you know it's, it's it's a positive thing. Yeah, well, I think yeah. Kate said this is the second book ever to be published in the local language. It is. Yeah. So I mean that. Yeah. I, I I couldn't imagine. Only ever having one book in my language, and then now there's a second book. Like, yeah, that must be incredible, especially for children and people. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people are excited about it. It's like, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I think once Kate comes out, we'll kind of, um, you know, start maybe in November looking mm-hmm. to kind of distribution. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and also I think the other thing is we, we're going to be working in partnership with another NGO. Mm-hmm. Who actually uh, that's actually supplying books to schools, so that's a, again we're going to be building partnership locally. Yeah, wow. So then you know we give the books and they they sort of um, distribute the books through their network. That school um, has supported about eight schools in CY district alone, mm-hmm. and they've built uh, two library books. They're currently building one. Yeah, at the moment. So giving these books to this foundation. Um, it's called Rara Ray Foundation. Rara Ray meaning hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in the Siwai language. So that foundation is really about concern about literacy. And um, also the shortage of library books is very big. Um, a lot of schools don't have libraries and, and the books to go in there. So that's that's what they do, distribution of books um, from Australia. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is gonna um, copies of the book is gonna be also contributed to towards that and um, yeah I think um, probably that's why kids love it. it's you know it's it's the inspiration you know um, to to help and and I think we you know we're really happy um, not just because you know Kate came and married me but <laughs> <laughs> you know for um. No, she just didn't come to Papua New Guinea and did photography and running away. Yeah, I think yeah. That, I guess that's the problem a lot of the time with yeah. kind of the kind of Western way of going. You go in somewhere, I'll I'll help them dig yeah, a well, and then all right, see you guys. See you guys, guys I'm off. <laughs> um, so um, I think Papua New Guinea, in that sense, has been exploited for a very long time. Yeah, Papua and continues. Yeah, and continues to even to this day. Um, a lot of stuff is done, um, and. You know, um, a lot of knowledge is also created in Papua New Guinea, both in medical and science. Mm-hmm. But, you know, up to now, the, the communities are actually not even, you know, nothing goes back to the community in terms of um, benefits. Yeah. So I think with this project, we really want to do things differently. That um, information is provided back to the community, um, the ownership. And, you know, any, any future work that comes out of this book, um, in, in terms of scientific research, has to be very well guided um, ethically, so that um, there is shared benefit that comes out of this this work. Yeah, I think um, 
you know, for me as well. Uh, yeah, just touching on uh, because when you do live up there and experience how outside people do come in and may work in a way that is quite, uh, you know, fractured mm-hmm. and coming with preconceived ideas and not allowing the space for local people to contribute. Yeah. Um, it's made me really think about now, like my next body of work, about thinking about, you know, the way that we inhabit not just in micro communities but our new macro community, so yeah. Earth as whole and that yeah. holistic approach and, and you know, that connectedness that we have between each other and then also thinking about how we can um, pull people up as well. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's about kind of rising up together. Yeah. And I think one of the inspirations that I sort of wanted, to, you know, with the kind of project um, was, um, like, I could have easily gone and maybe, like, oh, I'm going to build, you know, do a business and whatever. And, but I kind of decided, no, I think I need to bring education um, raise the kids up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've gotten, you know, especially, you know, you know, traveling, you know, um, having lived in Sydney, US and Canada mm-hmm. um, for about 10 years before going back. Um, you know, and with a PhD and you walk into this village and there's this real huge gap. Mm. You know, you're very highly educated, but, you know, your community is on the other end. Yeah. Um, how do you actually close that gap? So that has really been the, the inspiration is actually to, to elevate people um, so that we, you know, everyone can actually, we, we live in a, a, in a place where it's minimal sort of gap. So, you know, I can't come down, but I need to raise it up. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're, you're very right. Like education, yeah. obviously, is the way to do that. Yeah. Like that's the, one of the better ways, really, that you can empower people yeah. to make change. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's kind of been the, the, the inspiration. It's sort of continuing. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, other communities are actually inviting our organization to go in. And I think they're also interested in the work that Kate's doing. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. I had a couple was, of people contact me saying, hey. <laughs> I have some medicinal plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think there's a this lot of... really... Actually, yeah. I, I mean, I just... I feel so um, humbled, actually, that yeah. Yeah. now that's that's happening. Yeah. And, yeah, I, th- I think I think in terms... I think Kate can... Yeah, I just got to remember that, you know, she's my wife. Yeah. Sometime, like, <laughs> I was thinking, like, you know, a lot of these people are kind of asking. I'm just going to say, hey, look, you know... <laughs> Leave my wife alone. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think where there's need, um, there's also opportunity for beautiful work. Yeah. And yeah, and I think even yeah. having it, I guess through through art and through creative expression, yeah. it's a nice um, it's a nice bridge or a nice conduit between what's happening in one part of the world and yeah. what's taking place in another. Yeah, and it does make it a lot more accessible. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, uh, I know, I would just say, I think, I think there's a really kind of, um, you know, interesting future ahead. Like, uh, also about, like, you know, it's about meaningful art as well. I mean, I'm, I'm slowly kind of, I might start doing some art myself. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm just thinking about another thing I'm thinking a lot about now is that, uh, with di- digital technology has, uh, you know, has been the rise of uh, digital cameras mm-hmm. and makes me think about what the role of a photographer is uh, in our contemporary society. Um, spending that amount of time educating, you know, yourselves and my postgrad and degrees and exhibiting. And one of the things that's that I keep coming back to is that perhaps, you know, there's an opportunity that, our work can, uh, you know, create a kind of social change or mm-hmm. awareness. Yeah. While at the same time still doing contemporary, you know, art as well. There, there's an opportunity there for it to shift. That then it becomes that we're not just 
depicting places. Exactly. Everyone's got can record their own stories, but those that have the the privilege to be able to go and uh, spend so much time uh, learning a trade, mm-hmm. how can they use that? Photographers use that that trade to give back in some way. You can see recording the medicinal plants of C.Y. Bougainville at Jarvis Sunni Gallery, Linnean Strasa 116 in Berlin Mitte until Saturday the 17th of November 2018. Check the links below for installation shots if you can't make it to Berlin yourself. We still have copies of the book available, all the proceeds of which go directly back into the CY community in Bougainville, Papua New Guinea, specifically to build a water tank next to the local primary school. Thanks everyone for listening and see you next time.